It is important and refreshing to receive a journal like Sources. I rely on Sources for a deeply informed and well-curated collection of essays responding to current events and issues in contemporary Jewish life. Hi, I'm Claire Sufrin, editor of Sources, a journal of Jewish ideas. We get in-depth information from noted scholars, often in dialogue with one another, which is not to say always in agreement. In the newly released spring issue, scholars examine the theme of Jewish life tomorrow, reimagining key Jewish concepts for the present and future. Read, reflect, and subscribe to the award-winning journal at sourcesjournal.org. My name is Daniil Hartman, and I'm the president of the Shalom Hartman Institute. Today is Monday, November 29, 2021, and this is For Heaven's Sake, a podcast from the Hartman Institute's I Engage project. Our theme for today is Hanukkah, Interfaith, and the Israeli Psyche. In each edition of For Heaven's Sake, Yossi Klein Alevi, Senior Research Fellow at the Hartman Institute here in Jerusalem, and myself, discuss a current issue central to Israel and the Jewish world. And then Ilana Steinhang, Director of the Hartman Faculty in North America, explores with us how classical or modern Jewish sources can enrich our understanding of the issue. Friends, in an upcoming episode, as I announced the last time, we're going to turn it around and ask you what you want us to talk about. So please, send us your questions so that we can raise them on the show. Send an email, or better yet, an audio recording of your question that we can play during the podcast. Send it to for heaven's sake at shalomhartman.org. Please let us know if you don't want us to use your name. We look forward to hearing from you. And I understand there were some technical issues, so if those of you who tried and couldn't get through, try again. Let's begin. My Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah, the Talmud famously asks, centuries after the Maccabean revolt of 167 BCE against the Seleucid Empire's attempt to suppress the practices of Judaism? The question, what is Hanukkah, was meant to invite new ideas for the holiday. A few mere decades after their moment in the sun, the Maccabean legacy had already soured as the descendants of Judah the Maccabee themselves were vanguards of Hellenization and enemies of the rabbis who were shaping a new Judaism for the post-biblical era. That invitation famously led to replacing the significance of the Maccabean military victory with a more spiritual focus, an emphasis on the purification of the temple from idolatry and the miracle of the flax of oil lasting eight days and the lighting of the menorah. The question, what is Hanukkah, is as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago when it was first posed. The two major Jewish communities of our time, Israelis and North American Jewry, each has responded in very different, even opposite ways to that question. For Zionism enmeshed in a constant conflict over the founding and sustaining of the state, the Maccabees served as paradigmatic models for a warrior Jew and the willingness to fight and sacrifice for Jewish political freedom. In Israel, Hanukkah became principally the festival of Jewish heroism, of our ability to persevere against overwhelming threats. For North American Jews, striving to mainstream the Jewish experience into their broader culture, the Maccabean Revolt was converted from a Jewish victory over our oppressors to a universal battle against religious oppression. In the midst of the Christmas season, Judaism and its Hanukkah lights became beacons for interfaith ecumenism and religious tolerance. As an Israeli, I'm intrigued by the North American Jewish understanding of Hanukkah and how its spirit of religious pluralism or ecumenism is so alien to Israeli society. I understand why Israel chose to answer the question of what is Hanukkah the way they did. 
But after over 70 years, after Israel has become the most powerful nation in the Middle East, with a stable and strong Jewish majority, but with a significant Muslim, Christian, and Jews minority, is there room, or is there a need, for Israel's approach to Hanukkah to be re-evaluated? Yossi, hi, it's nice to be with you and to see you Good again. Good to see you, Daniel. Hanukkah Sameach to you. I missed you over Thanksgiving. It's a whole week I had withdrawal. <laughs> really nice to see you. Um, Let's delve into this. But you and I have a, a, an interesting perspective because we're both Israelis and Americans, and we've celebrated Hanukkah in both countries. You more than I. I came uh, much earlier on from Canada. But we we yeah, had. But I only I only started celebrating Hanukkah later in life. Ah, interesting. It's a joke. It's a joke. Oh, oh, it was a it joke. Was a joke. <laughs> I can't tell. I thought maybe there was somehow got connected to your Holocaust upbringing. <laughs> You know, I had no idea. <laughs> I have to think about that one. Um, um, but we, we, we've seen both. Let me turn to you. What's your answer? You know, if someone would turn to you, the rabbis, my Hanukkah. What's, what's your Hanukkah, Yossi? So my Hanukkah, I, and I mean it in the English sense and not the Aramaic, my, my Hanukkah is... Oh, uh, Yossi, that was very clever. I was waiting for that a response really to the other. It's like the first <laughs> I, I, and only I'm, time I'm, I've I'm, ever made a pun in Aramaic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, my, my Hanukkah is, is actually uh, neither the Israeli military-based or heroism-based Hanukkah, nor especially the uh, American Jewish ecumenical version. Uh, it's much more the Hanukkah of the mystics, the Kabbalists. It's, it's looking at the purification of the temple as a, as a metaphor for the rededication to the spiritual life, to examining oneself, to, to the striving for being more of a receptacle for the divine light. It's, it's really on, on that level. And, uh, and that's been my Hanukkah for many years. So divine light, go into that a little more. The, the lights, the candles become central. Speak about that, well, look, expand you know, on that, because most people, I don't think most people, I think you're strange. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to go into, into details because it'll really just take us far afield. But the um, in the Jewish mystical tradition, you can relate to each candle, each night, as another sphira, as another aspect of a, a quality that human beings and God share, chesed, gvurad, generosity, strength, tiferet, uh, harmony, harmonizing strength and generosity, etc. And so you go through each of the nights and you connect to another aspect, another quality that you that So you it's work a very, on. very deep spiritual. It, it also has nothing to do with the military victory. It, it, it even no. transcends the temple. It is the symbolism of the light and, uh, and a spiritual journey that each person must engage in, in, in attempting to be unified with the divine. I mean, in a way, one aspect of Kabbalah is the ultimate privatization of Judaism. Interesting. And so, and you're right, not only is it not the military aspect, even the temple becomes a metaphor for your own inner temple, your own spiritual striving and purification. Very interesting. How about for you? What is your Hanukkah? For me, it's Hanukkah is the least spiritual of, of all Jewish holidays. Um, and it has two very different dimensions to it. One, also shaped by the Israeli experience. 
I never related to the military victory. That wasn't, I felt that the Hanukkah for me, when I, when I had to talk about it, you know, there's difference when you're a teacher and when you're a Jew. So, you know, you have to, there's what you experience and what you have to talk about. Yeah, would you? <laughs> like it's, it's a strange. It's like, well, it's like it's being a, a rabbi myth. in a congregation, I guess, you know. Yeah. So, but part of what I would think about it theoretically, I was always very moved by the idea that we as a Jew, as Jews throughout our history, at different moments were told not to be Jewish. And we never said, okay, we're always willing to fight. That idea of being willing to fight and even die for what you stand for is something that moves me very, very deeply. We, we shouldn't be here. And for so much of our history, being Jewish was not just simply countercultural, being Jewish was dangerous. And I stand in great awe of my ancestors who said no. And they could say no to the superpowers of history. And they could say no to the dominant religions of history. And I think part of being a Jew, part of the lesson of Hanukkah, is the willingness or the recognition that you will only be here if you're willing to sacrifice, if you're willing to say no. I don't, it's not like my, I'm not dying to say no, and I'm not dying to die, and I'm not looking for, self, for self-sacrifice, but there's something about when you stand for something that you're willing to die for it. That, for me, that was a very deep part of, of Hanukkah. It, it's half of my Hanukkah. But, but now, yes. I just wanna, I, I wanna ask you a question about this. How do you reconcile the Jewish no, the historical Jewish no, with the much more fluid, open, flexible Jewish yes, or maybe of today, in which many Jews have, in effect, reinterpreted Hanukkah as a yes to other religions, as yes to the openness of the West, and in particular, America. See, yes, but I don't see that as a threat to Judaism. I see that as we redefining the essence of our Judaism. I don't feel that the contemporary Jewish experience is an assimilationist uh, watering down of Judaism. I, I, I embrace it as a deeper reflection and representation of new possibilities within Judaism, where I'm not divided, where the world is not always my enemy, and I'm not divided between what is between the particular and universal, but that I could engage in multiple particulars, um, or I could expand my particular in the midst of a relationship with somebody else. So the, the Hanukkah Hellenizing, that, that's, it, it wasn't the Hellenizing experience. It was, it was really, it was the moment where someone says, it's illegal for you to be Jewish. And we Jews could have checked out and we said no. And then they weren't attacking us for being Jews. They were attacking Judaism. They weren't attacking. And so for me, I always felt that to be a very meaningful part of my, of what Hanukkah stands for. Um, and the second part, and I think it's really important to put on, on the table, one of the beauties of Hanukkah is, as a parent and as a grandparent, the beauty of the ritual and the joy of the ritual and the gifts, which have nothing to do with Hanukkah itself, and the songs and the dreidels. It's just a fun holiday. It's a great holiday. So funny. I, I don't experience it that way at all. 
<laughs> I know. So it's like the eight days. Well, Yehuda told me, Yehuda Kurtzer said the other day, his, his daughter came to him and said, Abba, is this the first day of Thanksgiving? He's <laughs> like, what's your, because everything is eight days. It, was, it is such a holiday of, of abundance in Hebrew Shefa. It, the light is abundant. The, the food is abundant. Um, there is no restrictive practices, not, none of the don'ts and don't do this and that. There's something so beautiful and joyful and fun about the holiday. And maybe they're also quite connected because, you know, to be Jewish is both to be willing to say no, and you will only survive if you are willing to say no. I will, this is where I stand. And at the same time, Judaism will only survive if it's joyful. It's not a conflict. Judaism is not a conf- you know, I exist in conflict. I exist because it's fun to be Jewish, the joys of Judaism. And Hanukkah represents both of those ideas for me very, very deeply. It's so interesting how one can live the same tradition, but in, in completely different ways. My most powerful Hanukkah experience in my life was going to see the candle lighting of the Blujava Rebbe, who was a, uh, a well-known Rebbe in Borough Park, where I grew up, and originally from Blujev in Poland. And he was legendary in Hasidic circles for having somehow lit some approximation of a menorah in Auschwitz. And I went to see him, and the place was packed full of young people who wanted only to see him light the menorah. And I have never been in the presence of such light in my life. And you felt that he was simultaneously in Brooklyn and back there. And whatever he had managed to bring there, he was bringing through in Brooklyn. And there was this sense of awe. And afterwards, I went up to him to get a a bracha, a blessing from him. And my father had recently died. And uh, I was saying Kaddish. I didn't tell him that. But he looked at me, and he pumped my hand, and he said, God will help you to be strong. And the strength of the Blujava Rebbe's Hanukkah lighting is with me to this day when I light. You know, it's, I, I feel embarrassed. Do you know what my most meaningful Hanukkah experience was? Growing up in Canada, in Montreal, we weren't poor, but we, weren't, we didn't have a lot. Um, my father's salary wasn't that great, and we had five children. And I remember my mother also had an ideology that anything that other people did, we don't do. So we never bought presents. We never bought toys. We made toys. Like you had a ball, that's life. You don't buy stuff. Um, we would get, ha- it, it was very, very different. But in a shul, the wealth of the rabbi is not dependent on their salary. It's dependent on the different professions of the congregants. So my father had a congregant who had a toy store. <laughs> and we, we, we just never, you know, for me, a toy was a puzzle, you know, or a ball or a book. That's it. I, had a, I played a lot, but it wasn't with stuff. And I remember on Hanukkah, this, there were bags of new toys. Yeah, I could... <laughs> I still see them because it was just, it was the only on Hanukkah. There was no other time. So I, I feel. But you know, but Daniel, uh, look at the genius. Look at the genius of this holiday <laughs> that it can function on so many levels simultaneously. 
and speak in so many different different languages to whatever whatever it is we need. <laughs> and that's the beauty. That's in some ways I think that that's really the beauty of of Torah when we say 70 faces to Torah. What what do we what do we mean? So so let's take this now from these different sides and and go to Israel and contemporary Jewish life a little bit. Now, I think in Israel there is a tremendous amount of the joy of Hanukkah that I experienced. It's you know, th- already a month before uh, the holidays, you know, the jelly cardiac donuts are, are being sold and marketed and, and pri- the fancy ones. And the whole, the whole country transforms in that sense. Universally celebrated. Everybody liked. It's just all over the place. And, and the kids and the festival. It's, it is a truly joyous holiday. But in the doctrine of Zionism, it's not the joy of Hanukkah. It is uh, the military victory. It was the paradigm of the Maccabean warrior who was the precursor of the IDF, really the only precursor that we really had who we could point to. You know, the problem with all the other holidays is we didn't do anything. God was the one who saved it. Here was one where we actually fought. And then we 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 blew it. Yeah, but that's, we don't like to talk about that one because that's, that speaks about the dangers of power, which we could talk about another time. But how important is this Maccabean warrior narrative? You know, we also know, now we also know it wasn't true. <laughs> it was a minor victory in the midst of a much larger campaign because truth be told, we couldn't defeat the Greeks. We were the mouse that roared and for a while we can get away with it. But so do we, that model, which was so central to Zionist official embracing of Hanukkah, the Maccabees. And do we still need that, Yossi? I'm tempted to slow this conversation down and say, well, wait a minute, you've just thrown in some revisionist history here and let's, let's unpack it. But in a way, it's related to your question. Because the question is, is, regardless of what the historic truth of Hanukkah is, do we really need that story in the same way that we did, let's say, in the early years of Zionism, the early years of the state? My sense is, and I could be wrong about this, and I would really like your response, but my sense is that the military aspect is no longer as central in Israeli culture and education as it once was. And it's it's become more the holiday of Jewish persistence, of Jewish survival. Uh, and I, I don't I don't feel that same need for for military heroes in Israel generally. You know, Yom, the Yom Kippur War freed Israel from its veneration of generals. We don't revere our generals in the way that we did before 1973. Uh, the last military parade that, that this country has had was Independence Day 1973, six months before the Yom Kippur War. I, I think that was a, a real turning point in our relationship to the question of heroism. Really interesting, because what you're saying, Yossi, is that there's the official Hanukkah, it may be in the school books and in the curriculum, but part of what's happened is that Israel has in fact grown up. And also one of the changes is Israelis love their Judaism much more. There's not the official rabbi, this is, for, no, this is there's, there's no rabbi in it, this is just mediated by society and the joys and the celebration of Jewishness in a very natural way. But, you know, and I tend to agree, I think you're right. I don't think we need, and I think you're right, we don't talk that talk anymore. But we didn't move, we didn't start doing the American. No, 
know, and it's a good question of why. Why? You know, this idea that we were fighting for religious freedom and therefore to be a Jew is to fight for religious freedom. In Israel, Hanukkah is still the ultimate particular holiday. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's ours, yeah. whether it's our joy, our desire to consume more and more oil and any fried foods. Are, you know, you know, I, I'm thinking about the gap between the light of your Hanukkah and the fried food narrative of, of, of the marketplace, you know, how, how far we've come. But the middle ground of, of that Hanukkah is a place of, of religious freedom and a commitment to religious freedom and interfaith conversation, the, all of that doesn't exist here. How do you make sense of that? And it's interesting, even when Hanukkah coincides, as it has over the years with Ramadan, certainly with Christmas, there's no indication that there's another holiday happening in the Israeli public space other than Hanukkah. And I think it has something to do with, first of all, Israelis' relationship to Islam, which is based entirely on fear and distance, and Israelis' relationship to Christianity, which is very much a pre-Vatican II mindset. I, I think most Israelis haven't internalized the deep theological changes toward Judaism that have happened, certainly in the Catholic Church and, and to some extent in other denominations, in the way that many American Jews now take for granted. We, don't, we haven't experienced that, partly because the Christianity we know here tends to be more of the Orthodox version. And the Orthodox actually have not progressed theologically in their understanding toward us. So we don't have a context here in the way that Jews in America have for an interfaith encounter. I mean, how, how do you understand I, You know, Yossi, I would like to, if you agree, I think this issue of interfaith conversation and the relationship or the possibilities of interfaith is something that we need to unpack much more deeply. And maybe we'll, we should do this the next podcast. Well, let's go for it. What's the place of interfaith conversation in Israel? But I would add to it, in North America, the catalyst is a society which is welcoming you to be a part of it. And you want to ask, you, you want your holidays to have a universal dimension mm -hmm. because you want to be, you want, it, it's not that you're giving up your particular identity. Your particular identity has universal content. And the juxtaposition of Christmas and Hanukkah enables you to engage precisely at this moment and to say, yes, we all have our holiday, to celebrate the dignity of each one's particular. This is the, it's not my victory, but it's my ability to integrate uh, the two together. It grows out of an experience in which I'm being welcomed and asked, come to the table. Now in Israel, and this is what I want to talk about the next time, we're the table. Mm -hmm. We're setting the table. We're, we, we have, what table do we set? Now why, when somebody invites us and we're the minority, I want to play the universal card. I want to, I want to join your larger culture and to say, yes, as a Jew, I have what to contribute. As a Jew, I have what to say. And my Hanukkah, which used to be the most particular Jewish holiday of my ability to survive you, what's Hanukkah? It's my ability to survive you until this very day. The Hellenizers, how many within certain denominations, precisely speak about America as a Hellenizing experience. So it's my ability to survive you, to stay away from. And now, here I'm being welcomed in, and I want to try. I want to try to do almost what you said at the beginning. 
I want to embrace the world without interpreting that embracing mm-hmm. and be a part of the world without interpreting that desire as a assimilationist, Hellenizing experience. But in Israel, we're the table. And how does a table engage in interfaith? This is going to have a huge impact also on Israel's relationship with Israeli Arab Palestinian citizens and, and Arab citizens in Judea and Samaria. So I, I want to talk about that. I want to give you a last word on this, but let's let's put the deeper discussion on a hold. Last word, Yossi, before we turn to Ilana. The um, the two models that you laid out at the beginning of the conversation, the the ecumenical model of Hanukkah for American Jews, and uh, the more particularist model, the more protective survivalist model of Israelis. Uh, I think really reflect the responses, as you said, to each circumstance. And it, it really reflects something of the genius of Jewish adaptability to our various circumstances. American Jews are right to use Hanukkah in a more open way. We are right to draw on the survivalist roots of Hanukkah. But maybe there's room for American Jews and Israelis to look into the other's observance and orientation and learn something from the other, because that's really, I think, the opportunity that we have in this time to, uh, to learn from each other and to compensate for what each community is lacking. Great. Let's take a break for uh, a few seconds. And, and when we come back, Ilana is going to take our conversation deeper and higher. Jewish ideas matter. Join us for Ideas for Today, Hartman's offering of immersive multi-session seminars, public programs, and special events that harness Jewish wisdom for a better future. Be inspired by Hartman scholars as they address the most important issues of our day. Issues that matter to you, like democracy, pluralism, Zionism, and anti-Semitism. Join an unparalleled community of passionate learners. Register now at hartman.org forward slash ideas for today. Ilana, it's nice to be with you. I put now a heavy task on your shoulders, but given your record, I'm feeling kind of confident. What do you mean? First of all, happy Hanukkah. Second of all, a few minutes ago, you were talking about what you're willing to die for. So who's got the heavy <laughs> burden here? You or me, Danielle? Um, I, I got to start with what Hanukkah means to me, because it was really interesting that I was listening to both of you. And I'm like, well, it means a third thing to me. And I think that's pretty fantastic. I, Hanukkah to me is about religious maximalism. It's not one light each night. It's one, two, three, four, you build up. And there's something about Hanukkah that is so um, immersive, even as you go about your regular daily life. I'm not in synagogue all day, and yet every morning I say an elongated prayer, and every evening I'm lighting with my kids. And there's there's just, there's something uh, that makes me less lazy, I guess, in my religious life. like. I feel particularly motivated on Hanukkah to do things that sometimes when I cut corners, I say, well, we can't cut corners. It's Hanukkah. Could you expand on the analogy with the candles a little bit? Because I think that's the key part. Could Just to explain it a little more, Ilana. So the way that we practice on Hanukkah, the basic commandment is that we could just have one candle per household, and that's it. But that's not every the way day, we do it. One ha- one candle. Every, every day, one candle. And it, it's not even that we just do one candle per person per household. It's that every night we continue to elevate. The first night, it's one candle per person in the household. The second night, it's two candles per person in the household. 
and you go all the way up to eight and there's a sense of incremental building that I find very inspiring that kind of pushes me. It's not an all or nothing. It's a building up towards whatever it is that is your religious, spiritual potential. Um, so I find it to be a very inspiring time. But what I want to do is I want to disrupt the connection between two central tensions within Hanukkah. So one tension within Hanukkah is the tension between are we focusing on a military victory? Are we focusing on a spiritual or religious victory? That's one tension. Another tension within Hanukkah, which thank God for this tension, because it means that we're in a place where we can actually access the universal dimensions of Hanukkah. That tension is the universal versus the particular. Now, what you both described is you described kind of hitching one side of this tension in one space to the other. So the universal is the religious and the particular is the military. And I want to disrupt that a little bit. And I want to disrupt that by looking at a couple of modern sources, actually, which is not my usual, and one Talmudic source. The modern sources are American. The first is my favorite. It's an American Jewish folktale. That's really the way to put it. An American Jewish folktale that basically goes as follows. You have to imagine George Washington at Valley Forge. We're in the middle of the Revolutionary War. And... The story goes, you know, some variation of this. It is midwinter at Valley Forge. Everyone is cold. Frostbite is widespread. Everyone has given up hope. George Washington is depressed. One night, looking for inspiration, George goes for a walk through the camp. He finds one Jewish member of the Continental Army lighting the Hanukkah. The soldier explains Hanukkah, Judah Maccabee, and everything to George, who refines his courage in the process, enough to stand up when the boat crosses Delaware, which, by the way, I think is well, a so reference. George is the Maccabee. Yes. So it, this is like, you know that famous painting of Washington crossing the Delaware in a boat? Yeah. So this folktale is he got the courage to stand in that boat from Hanukkah because he met a Jew, right? Like I'm laughing because it's, it's a folktale, right? It's doing work, right? And then it says, later the first president sends our Jewish soldier a silver menorah as a gift of appreciation along with the letter which says, and this is to me, this is the punchline. Judaism has a lot to offer the world. You should be proud to be a Jew. Right? That folktale is amazing because look at what it did. It took military victory, and instead of seeing military victory as particularistic, it's, what do you mean? Military victory is actually an inspiration to everyone. can be an inspiration to George Washington, can be an inspiration to America. And that is such an American move that sort of the way we may have always looked at the military might as particularistic, we had the Hasmonean dynasty, that an American Jewish folktale says, no, 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 that's universal too, right? And then I want to take, like, on the other hand, someone like Emma Lazarus, let's say, who is a pretty comfortable American Jew, right? She's a pretty comfortable American Jew, but she's also an incredible Zionist. And she writes in this poem called Feast of Lights in, uh, I guess, the mid-19th century, maybe late 19th century. It's a gorgeous poem. And towards the end of the poem, she says, where is our Judas? 
And she means Judah the Maccabee, not that Judas. Where's our Judas? Where is our five-branched palm? She means Matityahu's five sons. Where are the lion warriors of the Lord? Clash Israel, the cymbals, touch the lyre, sound the brass trumpet and the harsh-tongued horn. Chant hymns of victory till the heart take fire, the Maccabean spirit leap newborn. And she's talking about Zionism. She's saying, we need Maccabees too. Even though we're Americans and we love being in America, we need Israel and we need Palestine. And we need, we need that too. And I think the ability to actually have both of those together is also rather interesting. Incredibly comfortable American Jew sees no contradiction between her Zionism and her Americanism, which I think is rather fascinating. And then I wanna introduce one last one. And the one last one is actually how, I, I don't really know how much we can divorce the spiritual from the political, maybe not the military, but from the political. And that is this really heartbreaking, but back to, you know, Danielle, I was, I was very struck by your point of what you're willing to sacrifice for. And it's a heartbreaking, brief passage in the Jerusalem Talmud where you get a very vivid depiction of how even when you're not thinking about your Jewish life as resistance to something, it might be understood by others as resistance to something, right? This Yossi and Daniel, what you're talking about is this sense that in Israel, Hanukkah is still resistance to something, whereas in America, it doesn't feel that way. I think it's interesting to consider the places where it wasn't about resistance, but it became about resistance because people made it that way. And this is the Jerusalem Talmud in Tractate Sukkah, chapter five, section one. It goes like this. In the time of the wicked Trajan, a son, this is talking about the Roman emperor Trajan, a son was born to him on the ninth of Av. And the ninth of Av is like the saddest, day on the Jewish calendar. On the 9th of Av is when the temple was destroyed. Temple was destroyed, yes, thank you for that clarification. And so the Jews were fasting, and it happens to be that the emperor has a child on the saddest day of the Jewish calendar. And then his daughter died on Hanukkah. And as you're describing the happiness of Hanukkah and the joys of Hanukkah, and the Jews were lighting candles. It's not that they're trying to resist Trajan, it's just they're going by their calendar. But going by their calendar has a lot of baggage with it, right? It's the ninth of Av, destruction of the temple. Well, the Romans, who destroyed the temple, right? The Romans destroyed the temple. Or Hanukkah has that political dimension of the Hasmonean empire being created, but also has a religious dimension. They're just lighting their Hanukkah candles. And his wife says to him, you know, before you go out and conquer the barbarians, says Trajan's wife, maybe you should go conquer the Jews who actually rebel against you. And the story continues that he actually does. And so I'm fascinated by the baggage that Hanukkah carries with it, good and bad. To me, baggage is not a bad thing. It's just what it's carrying. The baggage and then how you choose to interpret it, right? So in America, I'm surrounded by Christmas paraphernalia, but not yet, actually. It's kind of weird to have Hanukkah so early. Usually they come together. This is the first time in a long time that I have a menorah in my lobby 
there's no Christmas tree yet in my lobby. So how does it feel when they're at the same time? And how does it feel when they're separated? Well, you might have told the story that when they're at the same time, oh, it feels like they're against each other. Actually, in the American story, they both start to stand for religious liberty. And when they're at different times, that's actually when we're a little weird. So I think there's just a lot of threads here between the universal and the particular, the religious and the political, that get tangled up in a great way. Lena, thank you. I want to go back just initially to the George Washington story and how dare you claim it's a myth, you know. The <laughs> I mean, but, I'm but, pretty... I, uh, if there's an American Jewish historian you know, who's, who's listening, who has the... Uh, but I'm just teasing about you know, that. But the, um, I think part of it, which has a deep impact on Hanukkah in America, is that it was very natural to ascribe George Washington as a Jewish victory because America was the new Israel. That and also, I also think that, you know, the way that the two of you talked about America being a place that affords Jews the ability to fit in and we grab it. America also, its story is about Europeans finding religious liberty. That's how it's founded. So it's not just people give us room. It's, what do you mean? Hanukkah is the quintessential American story. It's people right. fleeing persecution. It's the comfort of that story. It's America as promised land. Yes. And part of the shaping of the holiday of Hanukkah and the integration, it's not simply that we wanted to compete against Christmas and make Jews feel comfortable. No, there's something much deeper about the Jewish sense of at-homeness in America which plays out in the content of Hanukkah. It then gets picked up a little bit on Pesach as well. Those are the most Americanized or universal holidays that we can. But, but Hanukkah at this time, here it is. The American story, this, this ability to overcome evil and to survive and to translate it, America's victory as a Jewish victory, that is a very deep part of the uniqueness of the American experience. And the meaning of Hanukkah reflects that very, very deeply. I was going to say, one of the things that I love is like, you even look at the Chabad menorah lightings. They are the most ecumenical things you've ever seen. Meaning they're not interfaith, right? Meaning interfaith has a little bit, they're not interfaith, but they are universalized, right? So the mayor is there or, you know, it's not just Jews who are going to watch a menorah being lit. It's a public story, right? And that's, in some ways, Rav Menachem Mendel Shadir said that was his genius to realize, like, there's something universal here, even as it can be Jewish. Right. But I, it's, even, it's I, I also wonder whether, and this also we could talk more about next time when we talk about interfaith in general, whether Hanukkah and the size of the Hanukkah menorahs was also, it's a power play. I'm here. As yes. That the secret to being in America is not integrating universal values, the secret of America is the dignity of my being able to celebrate my particular in the public sphere. And I'm not doing a, an interfaith conversation. I'm here, and the yeah. mayor's going to come. I'm the yeah. Maccabee. The mayor's going to come. It's, it has, it's, uh, America gives me that ability to bring my Jewish pride in the public sphere. And instead of cowering under the aura of the Christmas tree, I'm going to outlight it with the biggest menorah you're ever going to see. So I think some of that is not pure interfaith. Um, right, it's so. not. I don't think it's. I don't think it's interfaith at all. I think that's that's a question for a future conversation. I think it's power. I think Chabad has a very interesting take on Jewish power, 
And Jewish power doesn't only have to be military, it has to be public, it's public relations, it's pride, it's visibility. I think, yes. And I think it's a very interesting take that, that to be Jewish in the modern world is to be willing to go public, not to be private. I, I have a feeling that some of that might be right too. But I think you can ask, is universal interfaith or can you be universal being interpreted in some other way? And that's what Chabad's putting on the table, I think. Yeah, I don't know if it's universal. I think it's particular on a universal on, on, on the world stage. Well said. That's not universal. I'm not universalizing Hanukkah. I'm universalizing the Jewish ability to be particular, just like everybody else is particular. I think that also has a. We didn't talk about that idea, but I think it also has a lot of importance and value and merit. Um, Yossi, before we come to a conclusion, do you have any uh, thoughts that you'd want to share? in light of Ilana's teaching or in general? No, really, just to wish our listeners a Chanukah Sameach and that in, in this festival of rededication that we rededicate uh, ourselves to whatever our highest vision of our own lives are. That is so noble. <laughs> I'm I trying to... A, so- I want a jelly donut. Daniil, <laughs> I'm trying to sound rabbinic. <laughs> I, I can hear, I, and I felt so, I just felt so small at that moment. It was just so, <laughs> uh, it, is, it is the most, you return to where you started, and I, I give you credit for that, because your Hanukkah is really a different Hanukkah. It's been universalized in another way. Right. And, and anyway, kol kavod, fascinating. Yosin Ilana, a pleasure to be with both of you. For Heaven's Sake is a product of the Shalom Hartman Institute. It was produced by David Svi Kelman and edited by M. Lewis Gordon. Transcripts of our show are now available on our website, typically a week after an episode airs. To find them and to learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We want to know what you think about the show. You can relate and review us on iTunes to help more people discover the show. You can also write to us at for Heaven's Sake at shalomhartman.org. Subscribe to our show in the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, SoundCloud, Audible, and everywhere else podcasts are available. See you in two weeks when we're going to pick up on this whole issue of interfaith and ecumenism, when we Jews set the table, as distinct from when we're trying to integrate into a larger table. See you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. And to echo Yossi, Chag Sameach, Happy Hanukkah, everyone. The Talmud famously asks centuries after the Maccabean revolt in 1967. Oh, God. <laughs> it's an understandable mistake. It is an understandable mistake, isn't that? <laughs> um, Keep this in, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs>